So I, I rode my bicycle for a year in 2010 uh, from uh, Canada to Colombia, and as part of that journey, I discovered that basically a billion people in the world didn't have uh, access to clean drinking water. So I began this journey and did some higher level education and been on a series of trips with my friends in the last six years. That's all led us to this, to this spot now where we've become very interested in a small scale uh, decentralized desalinization projects. It's really the future of water. Hi and welcome to today's Beach Talk. Today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1. Now I'm thankful that you're with me today as we go through each chapter of the Bible one day at a time. It's my hope that you'll learn every word of God in the Word of God and that God will speak to you through these. Now our objective is simple. It's disciples making disciples who plant churches that plant churches. We want to multiply. So we want to begin in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. Matthew presents uh, Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy talked about in the Old Testament. Now he begins with the account of the life of Jesus and in the Greek text it's difficult to tell what the book of this genealogy refers to. Matthew is a book of genealogies. It starts out, the first two words of Matthew are maybe translated a record or uh, origins or a record of history. This is important to understand because the Bible is a historical book. Now, as a former tax collector, Matthew or a Levi was qualified to write an account of Jesus' life and teachings. He was a tax collector and we knew that he would be uh, well organized and literate well-educated as one of the first disciples of Jesus. Now we might say that when Matthew followed Jesus, he literally left behind everything except for his pen and his paper to write this story of Jesus' life. A Bible commentator named William Barclay said that he used his literary skill to become the first man ever to put together an account of the life of Jesus. Now we know that he was a tax gatherer and that he must have uh, been a bitterly hated person, just like they are today. For, for the Jews hated members of their own race who'd entered into the civil service of their conquerors. And that's what was happening here. Now, the son of David, or the son of Abraham, this is a way of explaining Jesus' connection with the beginning of the Bible. Like with Abraham. Matthew will show us that Jesus' lineage actually went way back to the father of the Israelites, Abraham, in that patriarchy. Now, most of the New Testament scholars believe from the, from the account of Matthew that it was the first one written, and that's why they put it at the front. Now, there are many reasons why Matthew belongs first among these stories, one of which is because it connects to the Old Testament. In the early days of Christianity, many people thought that the Gospel of Matthew, um, and they saw it as important because uh, it was a fuller version of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to that in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' greatest teaching. And now, Matthew is known as Levi, was a tax collector before he started to follow Jesus. We all have a past before we start to follow Christ in our lives. And Matthew had a past, and his was being a tax collector. He was not very well liked. Now, Matthew's account has a Jewish flavor in it. And what does that mean? It means that it's put at the front because it was a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's why uh, it's the first book uh, in the New Testament. 
now the Jewish character of this gospel is evident in many ways. There are many indications. Matthew doesn't translate uh, Aramaic terms. Um, he doesn't refer to Jewish customs by explaining them. He doesn't explain the uh, genealogy that well. So he would assume that his reader knew all about what had come before it, the first 39 books in the Bible, otherwise known as the Old Testament. So he also uses a lot of Jewish phrases like the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And we'll learn more about those uh, as we go along. <clears throat> and Jesus uh, commanding his followers to become disciples of all nations. Now, Matthew was trying to paint a connection to the Old Testament, but also show a path forward for how the followers of Jesus were going to live in the future. Now, it was a message for the whole world. So, Matthew is uh, deeply critical of Jewish leadership and their rejection of Jesus. Now, to say that Matthew is pro-Jewish isn't right. It's more like he was pro-Jesus. He represents Jesus as the Messiah, the person who was being looked forward to as the promised savior of the world. Now, Matthew presents Jesus as the kingly Messiah who descended from the line of David. Now, the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be the son of David. In the very first sentence, Matthew points to Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Matthew not only connected Jesus to David, but back yet further to Abraham. Jesus is the seed of Abraham in whom all nations would be blessed in Genesis 12.3. Now in verses 2 through 16, we look at Jesus' genealogy. It goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to Perez to Zerah to Tamar to Hezron to Ram to Aminadab to Nishan to Salmon to Boaz to Rahab to Obed to Ruth to Jesse to David <clears throat> to Solomon then he had a son, Rehoboam, and then Abijah, and Asaph, and Jehoshaphat, Joram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Manasseh, Amon, Josiah, Jeconiah, and he, 14 generations in all, all the way through Zerubbabel, and Eliakim, and Azor, and Zadok, and Achim, and Eliezer, and Mathan, and Jacob, and Joseph, and those were his parents. Now, genealogies were very important because they established Jesus' claim to the throne through David, which was promised. Now, this is through the, through the legal lineage of Joseph, uh, his father. Now, we should remember Paul's warnings about striving over genealogies and not getting into arguments about them, 1 Timothy 1, but there is a genealogy in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Bible teacher of the 19th century, one of my favorites, said that without one or two exceptions, these are the names of persons of little or no significance. The later ones were persons altogether, they were obscure and insignificant. The Lord was a dry root out of the ground, shot forth from the stem of Jesse, he had small, earthly greatness. The Bible also mentions three women here, and we really want to point that out. Now, they show how God can take unlikely people and use them in great, significant ways. Now, Tamar sold herself as a prostitute, Genesis 38. Rahab was a Gentile prostitute in Joshua 2 and 6. And Ruth 
She was from Moab. She was a Gentile. She wasn't even Jewish. And until her conversion, where we talk, we, where we learn about that in Ruth. Now, Bathsheba was, uh, had an affair with David. So these genealogies don't list perfect people. I don't know about you, but that makes me really thankful. I am far from it. Now, these women demonstrate that Jesus wasn't royalty according to our perception and that he doesn't come from an aristocratic background. Now, verse 17 says that Jacob brought forth Joseph and Mary, and then, and then um, Jesus was born. Matthew wanted to make it clear that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Rather, he was the husband of Mary. There is a distinction there. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. They're listed. Matthew's made it clear that this genealogy is not complete. There were actually 14 generations uh, that were listed there. But he's trying to tie this to the beginning part of the Bible to see some continuity in it. Now, verse 18 says that the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his uh, mother Mary was married to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Matthew doesn't really tell us about the birth of Jesus. Luke does that. Matthew instead tells us where Jesus came from. Jesus came from, and he tells it through the story of the eyes of Joseph. Now, there were essentially three steps to marriage in the Jewish world of Jesus' time. One, there was engagement. This could happen when the bride and groom were quite young, and it was often arranged by parents in that culture. And then there was the betrothal. Now, this was made the previous engagement official and binding during the time of betrothal. The couple were known as husband and wife, and betrothal could only be broken by divorce. Betrothal typically lasted about a year. Uh, and then there was marriage. Now, this took place after the wedding, after the year of betrothal. Uh, and it says that she was found to be of child with the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew plainly, without gr great detail, uh, presents uh, Jesus being born by a virgin. However, the virgin birth was difficult for people to believe back then, just as it is now. Now, we should consider what a great <clears throat> trial this was for a young, godly woman like Mary and for Joseph, trying to explain this to everyone. Their situation was distressing and humiliating, and they were misunderstood Nothing but the fullest consciousness of their own integrity and their confidence in God make it made it possible for them to persevere through being misunderstood. Now in verse 19, Joseph's her husband, and he didn't want to embarrass her, so he had made it a point that he wanted to divorce her quietly. Now in the previous verse, Mary was uh, married to Joseph. This comment shows that even though uh, they were betrothed, they weren't formally married, Joseph was still considered Mary's uh, husband. Now, being a man of integrity, he didn't want to make a public, public example of her. Joseph knew that if Mary had been unfaithful to him, it would be impossible to go through uh, with the marriage. Yet, this is uh, he wanted to avoid her any unnecessary embarrassment or hardship. Now, Jesus, Joseph made the understandable decision to seek a quiet divorce. Now, to put her away secretly, this refers to breaking an engagement by divorce. In Jewish culture of that time, a betrothal was binding, and one needed a divorce to break uh, that arrangement. Charles Spurgeon again said this, When we have to do a severe thing, let us choose the tenderest manner to do it. Maybe we shall not have to do it at all. Talking about divorce. Now, verses 20 and 21, an angel speaks to Joseph in the dream, convincing him not to divorce Mary. But while he thought about these things, an angel came to him and appeared to him saying, 
Now, Joseph, don't be afraid. I want you to take Mary as your wife, uh, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to bring forth a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins, save you and I from their sins. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. What does that mean? Well, the dream came while he thought about these things. Joseph was understandably troubled by Mary's mysterious pregnancy. Any guy would be. Her future, uh, how she was going to be, what it was going to hold for her. This is very hard for him. The angel says to him that this is from God. And it seems that Mary had not told Joseph that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, that God actually told Joseph. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. <laughs> God does miracles. Now, this angel's message to Joseph was persuasive. He said, you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is the salvation of Yahweh, which was fairly common in that day. Uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, mentioned the name of Jesus. Uh, but it's supremely blessed in our day. The apostle, um, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, Jesus Christ. For he will save his people from their sins. The angel delivered this message eloquently uh, to Joseph. He said, God is in this, and I want you to trust me for the outcome. Right at the beginning of the New Testament, we see the themes of humility and perseverance and God wanting trust from his early followers, even Jesus' parents. Because Jesus was going to free us from the power of sin and the presence of sin. Now, salvation from sin is an element in the Old Testament, talked about in Isaiah 53 and Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. It's not the dominant one. The dominant theme in the Bible is forgiveness and liberation. Many people today want a national leader that will save them. It'll never happen. That's why God sent a savior to the whole world, not just to one country. Now it says his people, if it had said God's people, we might have thought it was reserved for the Jewish people alone, but it wasn't. Belonging to Abraham would bring salvation from sin. It is belonging to Jesus. That give that God forgives us. Verses 22 and 23, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. You will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the first use of this important phrase, which will become familiar throughout the whole New Testament, especially in Matthew. Now, Matthew understood that the supernatural conception of Jesus was prophesied about, actually in Isaiah 7. It says that the title of Jesus refers both to his deity, God with us, and his identification to be near us. It shows how God came down to us, that he added the nature of his own creatures, his divine nature, that he accepted our weaknesses and our frailties and our dependence, and that he wanted us to know that we could have, that he had empathy for us in everything that we would face in life because he became flesh and he walked and talked among us. It shows the compatibility between uh, our fallen nature and God's divine nature and how God uh, shows this theme from the beginning of the New Testament. It shows that we can come to Jesus if he, because he has come to us, then we can come to him. Isn't that beautiful? 
I love that God reaches down and shows us that we can always reach up and reach out. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Even right now as you watch this, God can encourage you in your life and be there for you. Now verse 24 and 25 says that Joseph woke up from this dream. The Lord commanded him to, to go to his wife, to name him Jesus, and they did. Joseph's obedience is notable. He didn't doubt, he didn't waver. He instantly understood the truth and the importance of what God was trying to say to him. He did not know her until he brought forth the firstborn son. The words did not know her uh, imply that Joseph and Mary had normal marital relationships after Jesus' birth. This emphasizes that Jesus was conceived miraculously, but they had a normal physical marriage after Jesus was born. So, this isn't to elevate Mary into sainthood or elevate Mary to make her better than all of the human beings. She's an example of obedience, uh, but she's not to be elevated above that. And they had a normal uh, biblical relationship and marriage modeled for us. And so God wants us to have a normal biblical marriage like Mary and Joseph did. So again, this nuance is included uh, in the beginning of the New Testament. So God wants us to lean into these things and he wants to see the example uh, that he said. So his name was Jesus and they did, they, they called him this. Uh, it was a common name at that time, uh, but it had a genuinely great meaning and it would come to be the greatest name, the name above every name, the name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, maybe you've never done that in your life. Maybe even now as you see this, you wanna say, Jesus, I humbly come to you and I ask you to forgive me. I kneel before you now. I receive you into my life and I ask that you would do something with every second minute and day that I have left living for you. And I ask for your help in Jesus' name, amen. If you believe that, we believe that you're a part of God's family. Now, one last thing. We're going to be going on a lot of trips in the next 12 months. We'd love for you to be a part. You can go to our website and find out information about that. God bless you today, and thank you for joining us for today's Thank you for your time. We would love to partner with you. Uh, water is a global problem. It's going to take as many partners as we can to help solve this problem. We'd love for you to partner with us. You can go to our website at www.oceanwater.com. That's O-C-N-W-T-R.com. We love that. Thanks. So much.